Hi, I'm Emma. I'm from the Netherlands and I came to Minerva to be uncomfortable. That's Emma Stocks from M25. This week, we're diving into her story on humans of Minerva. I'm your host, Leo from M25. Have you always been someone who likes being uncomfortable? I think I would be lying if I say that I genuinely like that because it feels uncomfortable, right? But I did decide to go to Minerva when I was in a place in my life where everything was good. I lived nice, I had nice friends, my work was nice, but it was just like as if the ceiling was at 90%. It felt great for a long time, but at some point it just felt like I was comfortable, not necessarily in a healthy way. Have you ever like, been in a place where you feel like you stopped growing just because yeah. everything is kind of okay and there's not much confrontation or things that make you want to be better? Right. Like things aren't bad, but it's like there's no longer a sense of drive exactly. or, or things pushing you forward. And so yeah. You decided to, to come Yeah. Which is the thing that should be contextualized because it, it's easy for that to sound very privileged and like spoiled. Like right. I had a great life. I just wanted, I just wanted adventure and I wanted to travel and <laughs> I wanted to find myself. That's not what it was. But yeah, I did feel like if I continue this path of the work I was doing and the life I was living, I would have a very nice life. But I did have this scared feeling of, oh, maybe then in 20 years, I'm going to look back at this and feel like <clears throat> I didn't really make the most. I didn't take the risks that I wanted to take. Yeah. So I guess that started the beginning. Yeah. You've lived in the Netherlands your whole life. You, yes. you were born there and up to now you've lived there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, my parents actually still live in the house that I was born in. So I lived wow. in one house until I was 18. And then I moved to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And then within Amsterdam and greater Amsterdam a few times. But I never, yeah, the Netherlands always stayed my base. Right. Which honestly, I only realized when I came to Minerva. Because yeah. I had this sense that I was quite well-traveled. Because I had the opportunity to travel quite often mm -hmm. but i always stayed in the netherlands so a few weeks ago when i celebrated my birthday here in south korea that was the first time like well i've never been this far from home right. celebrating my birthday you mentioned family but yes family and friends the quality of my relationships is very important to me i value very much taking time for each other being connected i love hosting parties. I love bringing people together, creating like fun little surprises, doing things or more so initiating things. Mm -hmm. That's very much in my character, very much where I feel like myself, the way I show my appreciation or love, yeah. it's very much hosting something or initiating but, a surprise, something like that. So that's yeah. very important to me. Wow. That's really cool. Let's talk about education then. Yes. Um, you went through the entire education system in the Netherlands and yes. all of it in your hometown, right? Yeah, hometown and like neighboring city. Right. Do you feel like there were specific aspects that really made you, or, or when, when would you think was the first time you were aware like that yeah. this is even a thing that needs to be changed? Yeah, well, I think it started really early. 
because then eventually you go to elementary school till like 11 or 12, mostly 12. And then you go to high school for either like four or five or six years, depending on the level you go to. So in elementary school, so we don't really do middle school. Yeah. Elementary school, I went to a Montessori school. So that's a type of education created by this Italian lady. She's called Montessori. And the essence of that method is learn to do it by yourself. It's a lot about becoming an independent citizen and learning to guide your own learning. But what that resulted in for me was that I did a lot by myself. Like when I think of elementary school, I think of myself sitting in the hallway reading books Mm -hmm. because you would plan your own tasks. So on Monday, the teacher gave you like a sheet of paper that's your planner. And then there were a few moments that was like mandatory math and you would have to be in the class to do that. But the rest of the time you would yourself decide when to do something. So it wasn't like most schools where the teacher's like, okay, we're going to do Dutch now and now we're going to do English now. So it's not weird that I'm good at planning now because it started very early. So even like when you're six years old, you're, you're already planning your own schedule and your day in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you all start the day together, maybe like some, you start in a circle and share about your last evening. And then maybe the teacher says, okay, now we're all going to like learn the letter B that's 30 mm-hmm. minutes. And then you may maybe have like an hour to do your own that's little right. work. We yeah. call them. Yeah. And then as a six year old, even you have a few must do works per day. Those are the things that you actually need to do. And then there's also a list of can do works which could be like something creative and you plan your time like that. There's also a lot of integration of the senses. So for example, Montessori had this theory that if you learn math and also if you learn writing, you have to go from the concrete to the abstract. So instead of learning to write on paper immediately, first you have like tiles with sandpaper and you learn how to trace the letters and with math that a 10 is essentially 10 times a one and then a hundred is 10 times a 10. You have like little beats that you have to put. Yeah. You might, and then you have like mat Uh that you sit with on the floor. So a lot of the things you also do and like not sitting, sitting on a chair, but being on the ground to encourage that Mm. movement. Did you like that kind of education? Cause to me, it sounds at least a lot more advanced or progressive than yeah, I've experienced. yeah, yeah. I really liked it, but when people ask me what kind of school you went to, like elementary, I usually say like it was Montessori-ish, mm-hmm. because later in my work, I researched the method a lot, and there I like, oh, is that how you're supposed to teach? So it wasn't perfect. I just did well. I got good grades. I was always ahead, which led the teacher to focus on the kids that struggled more to keep up with the pace and that I spend a lot of the time by myself reading books. I think a lot of Minervans will resonate with that story that school was also a lot of self-study just because the normal trajectory wasn't enough or you were done with that already. So I did that. And then I went to a grammar school in the Dutch education system. There are different levels. At 12, you get selected to go either to like a school that prepares you for a vocational school, a school that prepares you for a university of applied sciences, or a school that prepares you for university. You start to have to make these choices at 12. Yeah. At 12, like you take this national exam Mm -hmm. called the CITO, 
And based on that and your teacher's recommendation, you are allowed at either of the, the levels. But that system and what it does and also the influences of discrimination and socioeconomic background and whether your parents can afford prep. Uh, right, can afford all these other resources to help you yeah. Say, yeah. get ahead. Exactly. So that's a whole different story and problematic. But I went to that grammar school and there kind of the same happened. So still, I, I need a lot more intellectual challenge. I just got like a schedule that had me bored quite easily. And also mm-hmm. it wasn't very much involved with society. So it was just us in our building studying, but there was no internships, no all the practical mm-hmm. learning or like applied learning that we have to do at Minerva, like, which I really miss. So I mostly organized that for myself. So in a lot of clubs, I was that kid that was active in every club and then some like, and then created and then them. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And also involved in like the community of my city, fundraising, a lot of charity work, which I enjoyed. But this whole story is to say that I think I did fairly well, or like I found my way in the education system, or I was what they would call like a perfect student because of my grades. And then also the actual curriculum yeah. and you have the drive to yeah. do all this extra stuff. Right? Exactly. But I didn't feel supported at all, like by the education system. For me, it felt like first you have to pass and then I got the chance to do things that actually matter to me and like have entrepreneurial experiences at a very young age that I knew were actually important for my development. I always felt like, "Hmm, I don't know if it's like such a good thing that I spend the majority of my time being by myself in the hallway reading just because the Mm -hmm. class is not what I need. Yeah. So I think it's like, I don't know, as you were saying this to me, the phrase it's like, it feels like something you have to do before you can do the things you actually want to do. And so in an ideal world, going to school, is something that you want to do because at the end of the day, all humans are curious and we do really love learning, mm-hmm. but just not in the form that, that they have put it out to us. So you go through this system, you're starting to realize it's not as good as people think. You get out of high school and you're doing, you know, you have really good grades and everything. So it's time to go to university, uh-huh. but that doesn't exactly happen. No, that does not. So what happened is that I really wanted to go to an Ivy League school. I wanted to go to Harvard. And I think the rest of us. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think the motives for that were, were a mix of not wanting to be the smartest mm-hmm. because... You want to be challenged. At exactly. Not be. So there is the beautiful part of the story that I would be proud to say, like, I want to be challenged and I want to be surrounded by people that challenge me. Mm-hmm. But then also we got to be real, like being surrounded by people that do challenge you. Sometimes that's tough. Like it, it's this bittersweet feeling because it's awesome to be surrounded by people that have done amazing things, but also like it, it makes you grow up and it makes you, or at least for me, it made me realize okay, it is awesome to be with people that you can look up to. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it hurts your ego to be like, to be in a group where it's like, oh, did you write a book? I wrote two. Like, or, yeah. oh, you have a company? I have three. 
it just makes you realize that that competition with other people, just stop it now because it's going to make you miserable. So I guess part of the motivation to go to Harvard was also like my ego. And it's a renowned school. It would give me a lot of validation. So I think with our motivations, there's always a mix of like something that's very light and pure and then like yeah. more hedonistic or superficial ones or needs that are also... Anyway, I didn't get into Harvard. I was crushed yeah. because I mentally, of course, knew the acceptance rate is very low. Right, so like, of like, course, like chances of getting in are very small. Yeah. But I just thought, no, I've been hearing I'm smart all my life. And right. smart people <laughs> go to Harvard. So <laughs> something is wrong in this equation. But I was also like, I was also shocked with myself because I really felt like heartbroken and I realized that is not a healthy thing. Like this is rejection and it's okay to be sad about that. But it makes me question like on a deeper level, was it a lie that I'm smart? Am I not capable of that? I started having all these thoughts that were about my own worth instead of I applied to a school, the acceptance rate is low, I need to make the cut and that's okay. Like sometimes you just yeah, don't make the cut. It's life. It's... Yeah. Rejection is part of life, but right. like, I had very little experience with rejection, mm. which I had a lesson to learn about that. So I'd already had some experience in the education system in like the universities in the Netherlands. I'd taken some courses. Mm -hmm. I felt like that's not what I want. The whole I'm going abroad to the US that I was not working out. So I decided to initially take a gap year and to take time to research what is the education system really based on and what is learning really and why is it that this feels like such a big thing for me why is a school not accepting me hitting me so hard and also why is it so important for me that other people perceive me as smart i i think i just knew that if I continue in this way of life for the rest of my life, I'm putting the stakes of me being happy so much mm -hmm. with other people that like the chances of me becoming miserable are just a little too big. Like I'm not going <laughs> to take that bet. So what started as a personal research project, I thought I'm just going to take a gap year, resulted in the work I continue to do up until this day. So. Yeah. I started publishing and writing blogs and making podcasts and people started approaching me to ask if I could give a lecture or there were also a lot of great mentors that opened a lot of doors and got me the opportunity to work on projects that were very fascinating to me and that gave me like initial work experience beyond the job in a supermarket that I had had yeah. up until then. And that's also where my like, entrepreneurial savviness came in because I was like, hmm, if I can give lectures, but I know like by this time, I know a lot about it. So I'm bringing a lot of value. They might as well pay for that because mm -hmm. then I can move out of my parents' place. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that grew and grew and grew into like a consulting company. I call it MS College. That was me sharing my own learning journey and then translating that to the context or like taking those valuable lessons to the context of schools and companies to help them create better learning environments for their students or their employees. The thought of just like, okay, now I'm just going to take a gap here. Like, did that feel 
scary to you? Because I know to me, like the idea of venturing out on my own like that would terrify me a bit. Yeah. Or, or did it just feel natural to... Yeah. I think what helped is that there was one university that I got into in the Netherlands that I deferred. Mm-hmm. So I knew like if all goes to shit, I can always go there next year. Yeah. Even though I had like in my heart, I had no true intention of ever doing that. Oh. I just <laughs> deferred just to have like the the wild card. Um, it felt like I didn't have another option. Hmm. So... I compared that to going to the universities that I did get into and I was like, I'd rather take the risk. Yeah, there's somehow like that leap of faith that I took. Didn't feel as much as the leap of faith as just like the next step. Exactly. I think I had a similar feeling when I decided to go to Minerva mm-hmm. and it's, it's now easy to say that, yeah, I took that leap of faith and then I just trusted the process. No, I doubted it a lot. Throughout the year, it kind of started to feel natural to continue to do that. So at some point, like the date to reapply to universities just kind of passed and I was working and I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm taking another gap year. And I took another and then I said, guys, it's not a gap year anymore. I'm just doing my life now. (laughs) Let's stop calling it that. But I had, yeah, I had the same before coming to whenever at some point it just felt like I was cornered in some way and then the most risky option seemed the only sane one i won't glorify it it was scary i think it helped that i got like it worked pretty fast pretty well but it was a risk it was because a lot of people didn't understand it they were like you're emma like you're a great student you should be at a great university and you should like that that whole idea that i had of i'm gonna go to an ivy league university and then i'm gonna get a job and then by the time i'm at 30, I'm CEO of this gigantic company uh-huh. and I'm going to have a husband and kids and a house. And I really thought I'm going to be done with life. Like I'm going to be just set up for, yeah. Like you've accomplished everything. Yeah. I got in a rat race really young. And I think a lot of people are stuck in that rat race and for like, type a high achiever students it starts like really early yeah yeah and and it can be a great thing and it can drive people to do amazing things but Mm -hmm. if you get caught up in it Mm -hmm. too much you start focusing only on the next obstacle or not and you you start to like forget that you have feelings too and taking care of yourself instead of just trying to show the world that you're also great yeah yeah, and in essence, I think that not to become too philosophical, but we all have this story in our heads that we get when we're very young. It's kind of like the explanation you have for why you're not as loved. So mm-hmm. as a kid, mm-hmm. and we just all make up a story on like how to make sense of that. So, or like we find the way that we do get love and we just optimize for that. Or if it's like, you're so smart, that was my story. I optimized for that. You are so much more than that. We are all very complex beings. So I guess what happens when I didn't get into Harvard, it was like, fuck, I've built this whole narrative around who I am and what makes me lovable or like what makes me a a nice person to be around. And now that is, That's, is that not true anymore? Yeah. So 
kind of like me getting rejected from Harvard kind of became the start of my entrepreneurial story. I was a very odd case because I was a 17, 18, 19 year old person who went around to companies and advised them like, that's the weirdest consultant they had ever seen. And they were also very surprised with like, kind of makes sense what she's saying or like, oh, it is working. Uh And, but a lot of that story started with, I got rejected from Harvard. Like I was a perfect student. I then got rejected to Harvard and that led me to lead this life this way, which was very painful. I never really thought about that or I like, I didn't have the, I think mental or emotional space back then to think about that. But imagine being rejected, like your worst nightmare as to you wanted to go to a school you didn't get in and you feel like devastated about that and insecure. And then you go on, talk about that every single day. And at some point it started to feel like I had this version of the story that wasn't as personal. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when, for example, you break up with someone in your heart, it can still feel like very, like the wound is still very open, Mm -hmm. but then you come up with this story that's just like clean and clear cut of, yeah, we were growing apart. It didn't work anymore. I still love them. And that's like just the story you tell. So you have Mm -hmm. a, like a wrapping around it. I think I managed to do that, but I can genuinely talk about it and it feels calm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it took me quite a long time to really find peace with that. Before coming to Renera, I got rejected by Oxford. I Mm -hmm. reapplied. Yeah. And I I guess that was the moment where I realized, oh, I've really grown because... Because it didn't hurt. No, like I was disappointed, but I also thought, well, I think it made sense because I was interviewed and I just felt like, okay, they chose to go with other highly qualified students and that's not for me. I think it's sort of strange, at least for me, being in university with someone who could have graduated university. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? The fact that if you had gone the traditional path, you would be probably looking for a job or something right now or yeah it does i think like the humbling experience that it was to not go to that school Mm -hmm. and like kind of shake off the identity of the perfect student because i wasn't anymore i was now a young entrepreneur Mm -hmm. then i got attached to that and now i'm a student and i'm not young anymore so i don't know what it is i think life is just trying to teach me something about don't get too attached to the story on which you're you're getting validation because um, it's always going to change it's always going to change exactly like one day I, I hope to be a mom and then probably the story i really want to live up to is like being a good mom and then my kids are going to grow up and realize that no parent is perfect and they're going to have this story about you screwed me up in this way and i'm going to have that whole briefing process like <laughs> i know that's far ahead but yeah. like it's probably gonna happen so uh, i think i'm doomed <laughs> um so how do i feel about that there are a few things that i really like i really like that i've taken the time to better understand what it is that i want to learn and what it is like where i see my career going 
So I feel very equipped to make the best of Minerva and like truly use it to my advantage. And before that, I didn't have that as much. Yeah. I'm way better in putting into context what academic feedback and grades exactly mean. So I, I think I'm better at valuing the whole learning process, like the marathon mm-hmm. we're taking for four years rather than living from assignment to assignment and right. seeing that gray as more than what it is. I like being around young people that are very eager it makes me eager as well, which is something that I felt like I had lost. But sometimes I also struggle. Minerva takes up a lot of my time and that makes me miss entrepreneurship a lot. I miss spending as much time on my own work as I would want to. So what's in the future? What's in the future is that I really hope that the Minerva experience, as it has done now, is going to be an experience in which I grow intellectually, but also my mind grows, but also my heart. Mm -hmm. So I hope I grow more compassion for other people and for myself, more humility. The other day I was doing a CTD, which is our professional coaching guidance, basically that the school offers. And someone asked me, what are you most proud of? And for a long time that would have been this list of I worked on this project, I gave that kind of talk, then I was invited on this trip. My company has this many clients, like very measurable accomplishments in the... It's traditional. Exactly. Very performance-based. Yeah. But I think genuinely now the answer is that I'm proud of not settling, proud of being in an environment that was very good, knowing that I want something great and I'm proud of going to a situation in which I am one of the oldest and there is no way for me to play the like child prodigy card anymore. Mm-hmm. So first I have the perfect student card and that just came <laughs> out of my house. And then something of me was like, well, people now call me this wunderkind. I don't know if you know that word, it's like child prodigy in German. Someone who's very young and like abnormally successful. Yeah. And now I'm not, I'm surrounded by people who, if we were to give out that award, I don't think I would qualify, which is again, a humbling experience, which I think will be very good for me, even if it doesn't necessarily always feel good. So I I guess that's in the future for me. Yeah. Well, it has been an amazing conversation. Yes. I really liked it too. Thank you. Yeah. It was a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Ang Yan, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans on